suddenly couldn't see anything. So I lost my vision and I couldn't remember. And this is the thing that sticks so clearly in my mind. I couldn't remember the name of the sausage roll. I, I knew it was a tube of meat with pastry, but I couldn't remember the words sausage roll. And what was essentially happening was because the preeclampsia that I apparently had, had kind of developed, I was basically having a form of a mini stroke. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Hello, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Every L Podcast. Today, I'm so, so, so happy to have the fantastic individual who I met through a dad being part of, selfish blog there. Um, and she is just so whimsical. She's knowledgeable. I swear, if we could talk, we'd probably talk for hours. Not that we have been already. Um, <laughs> But we've just had a great conversation in the past. We had a great conversation just before we jumped on. And I, I'm just so excited to have her because she's so infectious. She's so energetic. I, I, I'm assuming it's coffee um, and <laughs> juice, but it's pretty late in the night. So if that's the case, I don't think she's going to sleep at all tonight. Um, but yes, her name is Hannah. She's a teacher, English teacher. So I'm going to stumble over words during this episode. A whole heap of editing is going to happen because I'm going to, I've already done it. I've tripped over my words several times, but I, I, I'm so happy for her to be on and share her stories. She has given us two L's she'd like to discuss, but what I'm going to first do is ask her to introduce herself in a way that she sees, sees fit and divulge what she feels comfortable divulging at this stage. So over to you. Ah, oh, thank you. I've just- I feel like I'm going to let you down now because that was so lovely. That made me feel really special. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, in the good, the good kind of, the good kind of special. That was lovely. I, I am an English teacher. I'm not going to, this is a big thing. It's a big misnomer. Everybody assumes that English teachers are looking for when you're saying the wrong thing or looking for when you're writing the wrong thing. It's quite the opposite because we don't tell people how often we do that. I'm one of those people who goes through life making mistakes and they're having to apologize for those mistakes. And I have the um, I have the gift with my students of being honest with them and saying, I don't know the answer to that. We're going to look it up together. There is nothing worse than being caught out by a really bright student who sees that you said something wrong. So it's always best to admit when you don't know something. I am shameless when it comes to that absolutely I think I'd love to have a teacher like you it's you know it it is I think it's important to do because otherwise we're scared of teachers you know if teachers say they know everything there's also there's a responsibility you hold then as well and I you know I don't want that I don't want to be responsible for knowing everything because if I give the wrong information it comes back on me so it's not just it's not just sharing with the kids it's also stopping myself from getting sued you know which especially when they've got google in their hands and they've got google in their hands and their phone is physically attached to them literally attached to them which is good because it means you know somebody will say something I'll say okay google that because I have no clue. Google my spelling on this. My spelling is atrocious. I'm an English teacher who can't spell. Grammarly. And I have I have certain words that just just can't get them no matter how for the last 13 years I've spelled the word sacrilege wrong every time I've written it on the board. Wow. Every that's 13 years that I've had to write the word sacrilege when we're doing Shakespeare. So and I write the word on the board and go, is that right? Is that right? Check it. Check it. And <laughs> one year, one year I've got it right in 14 years now I've got it right. And we had like such a big celebration. I screamed really loudly and another teacher came out of a classroom to check we were okay. <laughs> I was just screamed sacrilege at the top of my voice. But that's, you know, that I, I think honesty is the best policy with young people because they will, they will find you if you're lying. They will find you, they yep. will see you and they will not forget it. They have very long memories, very so, long memories. So besides being a teacher, is there anything else you're happy to share? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, talked previously about you know our children and and you know how much they mean to us and how little they let us sleep and all of the beautiful things that makes them teeny tiny marvelous little bundles of light and joy 
they are, you know, I think the reason we exist on the planet, realistically, we don't know what else we're here for. We don't know. We're sure we're supposed to be doing something. But the only thing we know we get right is making teeny tiny humans. And, you know, however they come into your world, they're just so damn wonderful. And my my daughter is... Um, she is, as I've mentioned before, she she is she's precocious. She's uh, like her mom. She is, yeah. She's she's the kind of good precocious though. She's a healthy precocious. She's a very very happy, very energetic, very positive little figure. And you sound quite envious when you say that. I do because she's just so she's just so unendingly sunny. And I think you know having personally as as an adult and as a young woman gone through some enormous periods of of neuroses and and you know periods of depression and periods of great sadness she is eternally sunny she is a child who just does not get impacted by the negative aspects of the world in the same way she sees a way to be happy in everything and i i mean i'm part i believe that's that's probably she came into the world in a very difficult way and i think that's I think that's what's kind of, you know, she's 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 overcompensating for that. We um my husband and I, we married later on in our thirties and it took us two and a half years to conceive. So I discovered through the whole incredibly uncomfortable process of being probed by many, many different doctors. And women will tell you this. It's it's quite unfortunate that how the men get checked is much more enjoyable, if somewhat embarrassing. <laughs> how the women get checked is is so invasive. And you'll go into a doctor's surgery and someone will, you know, jam a wand into you. Then they'll turn a screen towards you, show you your ovaries, and you're like, okay, thanks. I, what do you say when someone shows you your ovaries? You're just like, okay, <laughs> good. I had no clue they looked like that, but I, please take them away. Just <laughs> take the wand out, turn the screen around. Let's get out of here while we can. We we discovered I had endometriosis, so there were lots of unpleasant invasive surgeries before we managed to conceive. A lot of unpleasant hormonal treatments and and drugs we had to take, and. Um, Eventually, we we found out we were pregnant just as we were starting to look into adoption. So it was a real, you know, one of those moments where all the lights were on. It was four o'clock in the morning and I'm holding this little white pea stick under my husband's nose. And God bless him, he was fast asleep. So it was a terrible thing to wake up to. Wow. But I had woken up that morning and somehow, I don't know why, I'd known I was pregnant. I just knew. And yeah. I leapt on him with this pea stick right under his nose. And the poor man was sort of confronted with this, you know, vile smelling white object. But, you know, luckily he took it very well. And um, we we just, it was just the most wonderful thing for both of us. I'd, I'd been convinced up to this point that I had done something terrible in life to not deserve a child. So to know I was going to have one was just the most beautiful thing. I'd watched my friends have babies. I'd watched yeah. my, my sisters-in-law have my beautiful nieces and, and now my nephew. But it, I just felt this is not going to be me and it's not going to be mine. And it was breaking my heart. So to have this confirmation was just wonderful. But um, it, it didn't go as planned. And well, Before um, you go on to that, because I just want to let everyone know yeah. that obviously we haven't discussed exactly what you're, uh, you're going to talk uh, about. I see. So kind of jumping the gun a little bit. But this is what I'm talking about, people. She turned all the way up. She... she... <laughs> She's wired. She's <laughs> she's not even running on battery power. She's plugged in. Pure, pure electricity. It really is. Like, I'm telling you. So as you can hear, she's now a mama, mother, which is yeah. fantastic news. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy for anyone that's trying to be a parent and, and somehow it happens, whether it be adoption, IVF, natural, or anything else that could potentially make you a parent. I think it's important that People who are potentially looking at being a parent in the future mm. or are going through something similar understand mm-hmm. that they're not alone. Oh, absolutely. And when you decide to share that you wanted to talk about your expectations versus reality, mm. becoming a preemie mum, mm. for me, I'm not gonna lie, I, I Google that premium. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that, it until it happens. That's that's the trouble. All I'm saying, I, I almost went to Urban Dictionary at that point. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, my gosh. <laughs> no, my students led me there. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah. Some of them do send you down a wrong path um, and you just use words out of context. And it's like, yeah, you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I think it's important the fact that it, uh, I think 
that we all go through a lot in life. And sometimes we unpackage it in a healthy way. Sometimes, or most, most times we don't. Mm. But a lot of it is made to feel taboo. You don't talk about this because of that. You yep. don't say that because you don't want to make someone else oh, yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Forget you. Oh, yeah. You don't want to make someone else uncomfortable. Yeah. If you want to do some research, wait until the doctor's got time to see, which could be two, three, four, five weeks mm. down the line because of everything that's going on. But I, I, I appreciate you and I thank you for being willing to want to share your story so that other people can understand that they're not alone going through this, mm-hmm. that this is potentially a reality for them that will happen in the future. But even if mm-hmm. it is, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be bleak and it's going to be the end. Hopefully that'll no, be the way the absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, feel free to continue. I just wanted to lay it out there and just thank yeah. you for being willing to share this it's it's a, I think a lot of women there is on the one hand there's the expectation that you must have child you must have child you must have child and you know we we're told particularly growing up as I did you know surrounded by women who went down exactly the same path and you know you must get married and you must have children and you know even as times changed and it didn't matter who you married it didn't matter you know, what gender those people were. It didn't matter, you know, where they came from, where your relationship began. But you you had to, you had to make children, you had to bring children into the world. And there was that expectation and that weight is on women consistently. And I think we don't talk enough about the fact that it's not for everyone. It's literally not for everyone. And that also is okay. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we had discussed a lot saying that you know we we really do we want to be parents one way or another and it was always going to be if this doesn't happen naturally for us we talked about IVF but we talked about the cost of it and we said you know given the area that we live in we're South Oxfordshire so IVF for us was going to come between four and seven grand around Um, and we don't have a lot of money, you know, we live in a very rich area and we're renting, (laughs) it's expensive. So we, we said that money would be better placed somewhere else. So we could do this round of IVF and and we could not be successful. So we talked about putting that money towards looking into adoption and the process of going through adoption and the process that would require, you know, finding someone to help us adopt and going through the local council and, you know, we were told that the waiting list was enormous and it, it became this whole kind of, the whole narrative that, that started. So I said to my husband, we, we got to start, we got to start the process. We just begin the process. So we're going through, you know, God love him. He came to every, every surgery, every appointment and sat with me and held my hand through it and watched the screen. And we all looked at my ovaries and uh, nobody knew why. Nobody knew what we were looking for. The weird thing is those nurses expect you to kind of know what you're looking at. And they go, and here's your ovary. And you go, "Uh it looks like a golf ball. I don't know what I'm looking at. And here's a filament. I don't know what a filament is, lady. Just take the wand out. But it was, it, it was this whole process for both of us. And love him, he he held my hand every time I came out of there crying because, you know, we were told you don't qualify for free IVF. And we'd be told, you know, it's unlikely that you might conceive. And every time we got this message, there were tears. And he would bring me home and say, this isn't it. I know this isn't it for us. There is something else. There is always more. There is always something else. And he is the one who started, you know, looking into adoption, looking into where we were going to go there. And it was literally chance because we're kind of given up on the process of the idea of um, of actually conceiving naturally that it happened. And I know a lot of people will say, once we stop trying, eh, it, it, but you can't, you know, two and a half years of, of trying to be pregnant. It's very easy for someone to say, hey, just relax and it'll happen. Yeah, I very nearly punched a GP who said that to me because I was I was two years in and uh, two very unpleasant operations and one really nasty dose of something called Clomid that women are given to kind of you know stimulate the process of of being able to conceive and it leaves you in a very uncomfortable position for a very long period of time when the GP said to me just you know just relax 
I very nearly chinned him. It was a it was a very close thing. I'm I'm a pacifist by nature these days. Yeah, I'm um, sure. I'm sure. Maybe not in my youth, <laughs> but certainly as an adult and as a teacher, I've I've become much more kind of, you know, forgiving. But um it was a close run thing when he said just relax. And I thought, you know, you you don't know what it feels like every day to feel like as a woman, your body is failing you and you're not doing something properly and everyone else seems to be able to do it. And every day there'd be another announcement on social media of someone saying, hey, we're having a baby. And I would just want to drive around to their house and slap them as well, because much as I I wanted to be happy for them, it just felt like the whole world was pregnant except us. So when we did finally conceive, it was just like, it was Christmas, it was Easter, it was the summer holidays, it was Saturday every day, and it was wonderful. And the six months of morning sickness every single day was worth it. It was worth it to be in that position and to to actually feel that baby kick for the first time and just go through that process. We We did what most normal couples do, which is get your pregnancy book, get a pregnancy app, which tells you when your baby is the size of a grape yeah. and when your baby is the size of a, of a you know, an apple and when your yeah. baby's the size, weirdly, of a kumquat. I'd never actually seen a kumquat before, so I was quite pleased with that. I think that's that. just for your location. That was just Henley. Your baby is the size of a smashed avocado uh, with bacon. <laughs> Uh, your baby's the size of a quail's egg. It was just really organic, or very organic, organic quail's egg. Um, it was it, it was a lovely thing. We did the whole kind of oh, the baby's the size of a banana. The baby's the size of a, you know, and we got to the baby being the size of thirty one weeks, and something went wrong. And I'd known something was wrong, I think, for a couple of weeks. And the first GP I spoke to was the same guy who told me to relax. So he's great. He said, "Oh, you, you're carrying a lot more water than I would expect." And I was like, dude, the woman is peeing every five minutes and she is still like, I was like those water balloons you used to get as a kid in the 80s. You know, you'd fill them up and you'd hold them at the top and then all the water would hang down. It was not right. Things were not good. The feet were getting bigger. The hands were getting bigger. Everything. I I just looked like the Michelin man. And um, in the last couple of days, it got really weird and I couldn't sleep unless I was sitting up. And the headaches were were blinding and I felt very dizzy and I started to kind of, you know, lose focus a little bit. So I waddled over to my GP and I demanded to speak to somebody in a very Henley kind of way, because people appreciate that around here, demanded <laughs> to speak to someone. And a very lovely GP who I will be forever grateful for said, okay, I'm just going to write you a note and I'm going to send you down to Royal Box and um, just, you know, just go along, just, just, you know. Just, just for me, you know, yeah, no, nothing, like nothing me. to worry about. Just humour me, just for me. Go on, off you go, off you pop. So I waddled down to. Luckily, my husband lives, uh, works just around the corner from where we live. So I waddled down to our workplace, and um, I barked at the receptionist to bring him out at once as tribute. And he drove me down to Royal Box, and within, I think, about the first ten minutes, they sat us down and they got me a sausage roll and some crisps and a bottle of pop, and I was really happy. And it was all lovely because everyone was being so nice. And they said, look, just just go home. And I love the way the GP and the nurses did this. There was this wonderful sense of just, you know, just for us, just pop home, just in case, just go and get your wife some overnight clothes, just in case we need to monitor her. And I will just say to all couples out there, whether you are male or female or, or, or other, whoever is the person who goes home, please pay very close attention to to the person who is sending you home. Because when you come back in with completely different clothes to the clothes you've been requested, you're not going to be welcomed in. You're really not. That person who is lying there attached to many different devices and being poked and prodded by nurses is not going to be happy when you bring in swimming costume bottoms instead of a proper pair of pants and a pair of jeans that you haven't worn since before you were pregnant and entirely the wrong color bra. So that didn't go down well. Can I, can, in, in his defense, can I? No, just, no defense. Um, no defense. No. The water bottoms, if your water's broke, that would be appropriate. <laughs> it, it would. It would have. Unfortunately, as I'm a sunroof deliverer, 
it was entirely useless, but they did have a lovely frill on them. So, I mean, bless him, he'd chosen the prettiest ones, which was adorable and completely useless. Um, <laughs> it, it didn't help. That, it didn't help that by that point, bless him, when he came in, I was talking to him and I remember very, very clearly the nurse saying to me, can you tell me what you just said? And I thought I repeated it. And she said, no, no, can you tell me again what you just said? And he said to me, you know, are you okay? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. So he went out of the room. When he came back in, I was connected up to many different devices. I suddenly couldn't see anything. So I lost my vision and I couldn't remember. And this is the thing that sticks so clearly in my mind. I couldn't remember the name of the sausage roll. I, I knew it was a tube of meat with pastry, but I couldn't remember the words sausage roll. And what was essentially happening was because the preeclampsia that I apparently had had kind of developed, I was basically having a form of a mini stroke. I had lost the ability. And for me, you can imagine, I'd lost the ability to speak. Yeah. Which was which was terrifying. I, I had this big sort of fuzzy blob in my eyes. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't speak. And all of a sudden I just remember incredibly intense activity, just a load of people around me. And I remember very, very little else for the next couple of hours. I remember um Tristan sitting at the side of the bed with me, my husband sitting at the side of the bed and, and saying, you really, you really frightened me. You really frightened me. And I looked at him and he was just ashen. He was absolutely gray. And there were all these wires and tubes and beeping and lots of activity. And then a very, very nice, very pleasant, very laid back nurse came in and said, um, we've decided we're going to take the baby out now. And I said, no, thank you. Because I thought, you know, you've got to be polite. And she said, no, 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 we're going to take the baby out. And I said, no, no, thank you very much. And she said, yeah, we're going to monitor you for a couple of hours, but we've decided the baby's going to come out soon. And I said, okay, no, thank you. And she left the room. And I remember turning to my husband and saying, right, quick, get my bag. We're going out the window. Um, because I was 31 weeks along and I knew, I knew this, this couldn't be good, but I don't think I really had any sense of how not good it was. Yeah because I had never had a baby and I didn't really read the baby books and I didn't really pay attention when anyone was having babies. I just knew they were having them. And I just assumed everyone just had babies because I didn't know anyone who had had anything other than a pretty normal birth as I saw it. Yeah. So for somebody to say, okay, I'm sorry, Mrs. Edwards Arneson, but baby's coming out. Baby's coming out soon. It was just like, no, no, but I, I don't think it truly dawned on me how big a deal it was. And the next morning, they kept me awake all night. I wasn't allowed to sleep. And the next morning, there it was. It was a C-section. And because of the drugs they'd been given me, I had to be sort of sedated on the on the gurney. And my husband was next to me. And all I remember is that they were playing. It was Ed Sheeran. God, Ezra, what's his name? And uh, Taylor Swift. So my daughter came out to the strains of the whitest pop country the world has ever heard. And I just remember thinking, I hope this isn't kind of a thing for her because this isn't really my music. <laughs> but it was it was a very middle class kind of, you know, <laughs> Royal Barks birth. And everyone was chatting over me. And, and I remember them lifting this tiny little thing up over the screen from my C-section. And... Because she screamed very, very loudly, they knew that she was breathing okay. So they placed her on my shoulder and I was able to kind of look over and just give her a little kiss on the tip of her nose. And I looked at her and I said, I know you, I know you. And then they took her away and she was, that was it. I could hear her behind me and I could hear my husband talking to the nurses as they dressed her up and then she was gone. And that was it. That was the last time I saw her for. I think a day and a night and it was the weirdest thing in the world. And I think it took me a very long time throughout that day to stop crying because she wasn't there. And I was suddenly aware of the fact 
then I had no baby. She'd just disappeared and yeah. she wasn't by me. And I just, I wanted so desperately to hold this little person that I, you know, I knew and she was mine and she was gone somewhere I couldn't get to. I was sedated from the breasts down. So, I mean, I would have had to crawl if I'd wanted to. And my husband was being exceedingly jolly in a really kind of unnatural manner. Yeah. And it was all very odd. I was very, very lucky that in in the first couple of hours I was in the hospital, I befriended a couple of the nurses. So they swung me a single room. They didn't put me back on the ward with the other mums with their babies. They put me in the one spare single room they had. But for some reason, that kind of made it even sadder. Yeah. Because on the entire maternity ward, I was the only woman without a child in the room. And even to this day, thinking about it, I just feel very, it's still hard to remember. You know, it's it's still, I have my beautiful baby. I brought my baby home and I know there are many parents out there who don't get that luxury. So yeah. to have her and bring her home is wonderful. But that moment of looking across the room and there's no, there's no bed next to me. There's no baby next to me. There's no noise. It was just incredibly odd and very, very sad. And we were there for a month in, in Naiku. She should have been in for nine weeks. She denied that. She refused to stay the entire time. They sent her home in a month. She was ready to go. But it was just the longest, strangest, saddest time that I could remember because there was no baby. There was no baby with me. And I'd have to go and see her like she wasn't mine, like she belonged to the hospital. Yeah, you were just visiting. I was visiting and I would go and sit next to her and they'd pull a curtain around for us to, you know, for us preemie mums to express, which, you know, you could either go and do in a private room or you could do next to your baby. They recommended you do it next to your baby because you're more likely to be able to produce milk if you were near your baby and you could smell yeah. your baby. But of course, we couldn't pick her up when we wanted to because she was so tiny. She was three pounds nine, which was, you know, big for a preemie baby. But she looked like a tiny little pink spider monkey. And I just remember thinking, this is just not how I pictured it. This is not, this is not my pregnancy. This is not my birth. This is, this is wrong. It felt unfair. It felt like I wanted this so much. Why is this happening like this? And you do, you become insanely narcissistic in that moment why is this happening to me yeah this is happening to me and it shouldn't happen to me because i i want a regular birth i want a regular i want to go back i want to do it properly and it just it was just very very odd and very sad and not the beautiful joyous loving wonderful thing that i thought it was going to be i pictured having the baby and everyone celebrating the birth and then coming home and being a mum yeah. And there I was sitting in this awful room full of tubes and beeps and and occasionally, you know, really traumatic moments where monitors would go off and nurses would rush in and babies would be rushed out or rushed in. And it was really the strangest, saddest place. I mean, there were moments of of humor and lightness in there. I mean, I remember the first time my husband tried to change her little tiny nappy. She was too small even for the preemie nappies. So she had them folded over on the top like a little napkin. Wow. And I remember him taking this tiny little inch wide nappy off her body and she just pooped all the way up his arm. And I mean, <laughs> I am, I'm not the most mature person anyway, but my husband standing there with the poop up his arm, I dropped to the floor laughing. <laughs> but there was the horror of doing that because I was in special care. Yeah. And you don't shriek in special care. You don't, you don't laugh in special care. Nobody laughs in special care. It's, you know, it's special care. It's a special care baby unit. You don't laugh in there. So they felt like there were the restrictions on our feelings as well as on our expectations that we couldn't have fun. You yeah. couldn't, you couldn't even when, when I'd come home after about 11 days, I came home from the hospital and I was going back and forth to Reading to visit her, but we didn't want to do anything. We didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to go out for coffee. We didn't want to walk up and down the street. We didn't want to, you know, see friends because it felt like we were cheating on our baby yeah. because she was in hospital and we we shouldn't enjoy ourselves. So we just spent the whole four months. My husband would go into work and I'd sit at home and cry 
And he would come back and I'd be mad at him because he'd been around people. And I'd been wanting to go in and see her and I couldn't drive and I didn't want to get on a bus. So I'd have to wait for him to come home to go see her. But it just felt the whole time like, this is wrong. This yeah. is so wrong. And it, it became more normal when she came home. She came home at £4.8, still, you know, this tiny, feisty little scrap who just immediately made everything better because she was with us. But it has made me much more paranoid, much more obsessive with her. I am that parent who's like, oh, my God, is she okay? Is she okay? I'm the helicopter mum now. <laughs> but she's, um, I, th- I thought we were okay. I thought we were doing okay. And for a long time, I really thought we were doing okay. And then I had to have a procedure called an ablation. After all the treatments I'd had before her, it caused pretty much irreparable damage. So I had to have this ablation, which is basically the removal of the interior of your uterus. Oh, gosh. Because all of the kind of the clomid, the laparoscopies, the C-section, it all led to all kinds of awful damage. So I had the ablation and the ablation meant I would never have another child, which I knew because we had agreed that it was too dangerous with my history of preeclampsia. But also we're old and one was hard work. So, but there was, for some reason, for some reason, just before her first birthday, I panicked. I had a huge panic. And in the second year, just before the ablation, it became more than just a panic and it became a true panic attack and I couldn't breathe. And I was lying in bed. And for some reason, despite the fact that I knew 100% that my daughter was in the bed at the end of the hall, she was sleeping and I'd seen her that night. I knew that she was also still in the hospital in Royal Barks. Yeah. And it's the weirdest feeling in the world because I'm a very logical person. I believe in what is, and I know what is, And I had seen her and I had held her that night and put her to bed. So I knew she was there in my house. I knew she wasn't still a tiny baby in a hospital. But knowing that I was going to have that procedure, for some reason, sent me into a massive spiral. And I didn't know who to talk to. I I didn't want to speak to my GPs because some of them have been pretty useless. And I didn't know how to express it to my husband. And I tried to talk to my parents and I couldn't get the words out right. And the only name I could remember was Bliss. And they were the people who'd given us all the pamphlets in the preemie wards. We had a Bliss volunteer come and speak to us. And she kind of talked through all the processes with us and asked us how we were doing every day. And it was wonderful to to talk to someone who just was not surprised or, or, you know, doing something scienty, that sort of like sciencey kind of stuff around you that nurses and doctors do. She was just there to talk to parents. So I, I phoned the hotline. And weirdly had the most wonderful hour-long conversation with a Bliss volunteer who just listened to me and listened and listened and listened. And I shouted at her and I said, it's not fair. It's not fair that I didn't get my pregnancy. It's not fair that I missed those nine weeks. It's not fair that she was in hospital. It's not fair that I have to have this operation. It's not fair. And I'll never have another baby. And I feel sad. And um she, she said two of the most wonderful things I've ever heard. First of all, she said, I hear you. Yeah. And that phrase for me was like, wow. Okay. Cause I've been saying things for two years and I don't think anyone really got me, but she yeah. said, I, I hear you and you need to know having another child won't bring back the nine weeks that you lost. It won't change where you've been. Yeah. It won't make better what you feel sad about. You can't replace that with another child. Having another child doesn't bring back that lost pregnancy. You you need to grieve your lost pregnancy and you need to grieve those nine weeks and you need to grieve the birth that you expected because the reality is what you have now is great, but you have a right to be sad. And it was just like, oh, thank you. Okay. 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 I put the phone down and literally within two weeks I had the procedure and it was, it was okay because I knew it was okay to be sad. I I didn't have to find a silver lining. 
God love him. My father said to me when my daughter was born and I was crying in the hospital, he said, well, you've just got nine more weeks to love her now. And I was like, just get out. Just get, <laughs> just get out of here. And I know he was trying to make me see some kind of positive, but it made me realize it's okay to not see a positive. Yeah. It's okay to actually just be sad that you didn't get what you wanted and feel sad and, and sit in that sadness and appreciate that you have a right to wish that things would be different, to wish that your child had those extra nine weeks, that that you had your baby shower, that you had your, you know, yeah. your moment in the hospital as the glowing mother. And it's okay. And it was just the most empowering moment to be told, I hear what you're saying, and you are allowed to grieve. You're yeah. allowed to stop, stop feeling guilty about grieving. It was it it was really miraculous. One woman in the Bliss Hotline, she just changed the way I viewed the last two years. And it was only a couple of years afterwards that my husband actually told me he'd been taken out of the room while I was having my weird sausage roll episode. I can say it now, sausage roll, sausage roll. <laughs> well, I keep saying sausage roll forever. Please he do. Was, he was <laughs> sausage roll. He was taken out and, and told by the nurse, we're, we're taking the baby out because if we don't, you're going to lose your wife or your child or both. And you need to convince her because she's in there saying no. Yeah. And um, and he came in with his forced jollity, holding my hand saying, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. And bless him. I don't think I'd really thought about the trauma that he had gone through as well. Hearing that especially. And having said to him, you know, what the Bliss volunteer has said to me, I, I, I wished I'd had the vocabulary to be able to say to him at the time, do you need to talk to somebody? Do you want to speak to somebody? Because I was so busy going, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair, that I completely forgotten it wasn't fair for him either. Yeah. He didn't get to have a baby shower and he loves cupcakes. And, <laughs> you know, he didn't get to smoke his cigars and celebrate down the pub with his mates and, you know, do whatever it is, I don't know, dads do. He didn't get to do it. He had to be okay for me because I was not okay. Hearing what you said, and I didn't want to interrupt because you were so eloquent in terms of what you were saying, how you presented information, your thought patterns, the processes, the emotions, you was, that, the absolute rawness of what you went through. And I can, like for me, I never thought of it that way. You know, a pregnancy ending when it does, it's only like mm -hmm. hearing my wife when she talks about stuff like that. Yeah, I kind of get it. But outside of that, because no one else normally talks about it, mm. it just doesn't seem to be a thing. Just like yeah. if you don't see something on TikTok, Instagram yes. or YouTube, it doesn't yes. exist. So unless someone's showing me it, I don't think people breastfeed no more. I think it's all formula because that's what you see. It's not what you see. We we knew nothing about Naiku. We knew nothing about it because all the pregnancy books you know, there, there was there, there were two pages in my books about pregnancy that talked about if you have an ill baby, um, yeah. if you have a premature baby, if you lose your baby, two pages of a book about pregnancy Gosh. dedicated to if. Yeah. And and I was in a whole ward of if. I was in a ward that that was, you know, every day there were new parents coming in and going out and there was a wall outside that was decorated with pictures of babies from Naiku. They call them the Buscut babies from from Reading Royal Barks. Okay. And the Buscut babies were basically the kids who come through Naiku and their parents sent pictures. So we sent a picture a couple of years ago of Hermione as she was then. Yeah. To show them, you know, and to say thank you to them because they were wonderful wonderful nurses. But good to hear. We we had no clue. Nobody nobody preps you for not having the birth you want. Nobody tells you how to do that. I mean, for me now, the the positives it not even positives, the knowledge I've taken away from it is you you have to know 
that what you expect is not always going to be what you get. And if that's the case, it's not about being prepared for the worst, but it's about knowing that expectation is only one part of what you're going to get. It's only one part of your journey to expect something, to hope for something is only a tiny part of what you're going to end up with. That, you know, that reality is going to be so many more different things and it might be completely different to what you had in mind. So you have to expect, but you can only ever, you can only ever know it's a facet of the rest of what you're going to end up with. We, we had no clue that was going to happen to us. But I, I like that fact and it does circle back around to where you talk about expectations versus mm. reality. I will ask you a couple of questions because I am very uh, mindful that I feel that there might be a little bit of gaps that I'd like to sort of have filled if you yeah. don't mind sharing. Yeah, sure. And it was a matter of when you were trying to conceive mm. and you were trying for two years and mm. it was feeling a certain way, how did you? How did that make you feel as a woman? Ugh. It's, it, it doesn't help that, you know, in my youth, I had always just kind of assumed that, you know, it's going to be okay because I'll have a baby. It's going to be okay because one day I'll have a baby. And there is that expectation. I was not a maternal woman, but I always assumed for some reason, despite not being maternal, I would have a baby. And it was just that constant feeling that there's something wrong with me. I, I knew I knew biologically speaking, and I think because I'd had problems, you know, as a young woman and my periods were not regular, they weren't normal for a better sense of the word, but it's not something that GPs talk about. It's not something that GPs or schools or parents talk about with you. And there was no investigation into endometriosis. There was no discussion of that. If you complain to a GP about your menstruation, it was just... Whether you spoke to a woman or a man, you were told, oh, well, that's normal. Some people get this and some people get that. Off you go. Off you go. So for decades, I could potentially have been helped. And there was nothing. There was no discussion. So on top of feeling like I was failing my obligation to society as a woman, feeling that my body was failing me, I also kind of felt like there was some kind of conspiracy that something was wrong somewhere and nobody was doing anything about it. And my poor husband, who, you know, literally went to these appointments with me, sat with me, talked to the GPs with me, talked to the specialists with me, and had to come out of there with me, you know, desperate and constantly upset about everything. And every time somebody got pregnant, there was just this sense of, are you kidding me? Are you kidding what is wrong with you people? You're like animals. Where are all these babies coming from? You you start to become quite bitter. Yeah. You stop just being desperate and sad and you start being angry at people. And it was horrible because it, it became toxic for our relationship as well. Because, you know, I'm failing you. You're potentially failing me. Well, now we know you're not failing me. So I'm the failure. And, you know, bless him. He, he really kind of, he worked constantly to keep me in in a frame of mind where you know we were going to do something we were going to be something this was going to happen for us it was a really such a long long couple of years of just maybe we try this maybe we try that maybe we do but it was all we talked about and any parent who's trying to conceive will know it's all you think about it's all you talk about it's all you think about and it's always in the back of every conversation. And there's this tiny part of you as a woman that's looking at your partner and thinking, you know, is this, is this this for us? If we can't do this, you know, what are we going to be? And, you know, he would say to me all the time, you are enough. You're always going to be enough. And I'm very lucky that, you know, for both of us, yeah, you know, I, I believed when he said that, and it was a very lovely thing to hear, but it didn't take away the fact that, you know, for me, I wasn't sure if I was enough, you know, and that I would be enough if I wasn't a parent. Yeah. So it's something that I think, you know, we we look back on it now and it seems like a million years ago, but when you're in that moment and you're there, it, it's something you have to deal with. You have to speak to somebody. You have to get out there and talk to somebody because otherwise your brain will run you in circles. That is true. And what you said there, 
it hit home with me because I'm, I guess, I don't want to generalise, but I am a fixer. I, I struggle mm. to just listen, which is very ch- challenging when you're doing it's, a podcast. It's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> it's understandable for a man, though, uh, particularly if you have, you know, a male-female couple. You want to fix that for them yeah. and you want to fix that problem for them. And, you know, we want to help heal the person we're with if they if they feel damaged in some way if they feel hurt in some way we want to heal that if you don't i think it's probably not best for you to be in a relationship (laughs) yeah go on with it kid (laughs) but the thing is it's 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 the, the the part of it that really got me is the fact that even though your husband in theory and i'm not trying to say it's a checklist here no no but he said all the right things yes yeah it, it doesn't help. Enough. No, it, it, no. It, it, it was. It was. Yes, you're saying the right things, but mm. this is not the time to hear no. those things. I need my reality to be different. I need. I need you to shift my reality so I yeah. am the pregnant woman instead and, of the desperate woman. And that, and that's the part where, mm-hmm. for me, that's one of my takeaways. That, and I think I kind of knew it before, and I did say it to Ian in I think it's the second episode, mm-hmm. where it's a matter of. There's always a villain in a story. Yes. And I used the analogy of that stupid, terrible, horrible movie of Superman versus Batman. That shouldn't be oh, a thing. Thank and you. It's the fact that Absolutely. Superman is trying to save the world. Yes. And then you've got people on ground zero that have seen all the destruction happening going, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, look at this. I don't like Superman because of this. So mm-hmm. Superman is the hero. Yeah. But in that person's from that person's perspective. He still knocked down the it, building. Yeah. 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 And that's where you know, Tristan in this instance it has said all over. the right things. Yeah. And, but you're like thinking. But it's like, no, you still knocked over the building, mate. Yeah. Fix it. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> and much. if you're not going to fix it in the way that I want, just go away. Yeah. Just go away. He he did. He did say all the right things. And I'm, I am eternally grateful for the patience of a man who dealt with those two and a half years so graciously. And I'm I'm not saying that's how somebody should be. You should not be some kind of, you know, some kind of pillar of patience. He did manage to do that, but I think that's in who he is as an individual. But I know, you know, for both of us, it was the most, it was the most challenging thing that we'd been through as a couple because you just bounce along thinking because we want this, it's going to be. Yeah. You know, we love each other. We we have done all the right things. We got married. You know, we got a dog to practice. So, you know, <laughs> we did all baby. the right stuff. Yeah. We got my first fur baby, Rufus. Then we got the second one because one is never enough. No. And then we should be pregnant now. And where is my baby? Yeah. And it was just this constant, where is my baby? Why does everyone else have a baby? And everyone else doesn't have a baby, but that's not what you see. That's not yeah. what you feel. You feel like the most barren human being that ever was. Yeah. And you know in your heart of hearts and that you know in your mind, you know, logically, that's not true. And that this is not the be all and end all of life. And that this will in some way be resolved either physically, you know, through science or through legal means, you will be a parent. That that will happen. We knew that. But in the moment, it's very hard. It's like that, knowing that my daughter was at the end of the corridor, but at the same time, seeing a future where my pregnancy had been taken away, my time had been taken away, my moment had gone. You know logically that the two things you know, can exist, but yeah. you just can't put them together. You can't get your brain working the right way because there is just that. I think my biological clock had basically been wound too tight. And it was just overflowing. Just give me the baby. And as the doctor was trying to say. And the doctor said, just relax. Because it's overclocked. Just relax. It was well and truly. Well and truly. In that instance, because mm. we could honestly talk for so long about this topic, and I, I think it's important that if people really want to holler at you, then so be it. If not, <laughs> we've definitely got to get you back on here again. 
Because I think that there is a lot of stigma. No one really talks mm. about pregnancy, how, what the possibilities are. They're going to be complications yeah, throughout pregnancy absolutely. for so many various reasons. Yeah. But I think to summarize, because I'm very conscious of time now, it's, mm. it's the fact that you went through that. You felt a certain way. You've explained how, and we've obviously highlighted how someone can say the right things, but it may mm. not be the right time to say those things. Mm. At the time, it's, it's probably clear to see that you wasn't in a good place. No, no. Looking back now at the beautiful child mm. that you have, what would you say that has taught you? Because it didn't break you, thankfully. No, no. I but think what would you what would you call it if it's not an L? I have to say, I think it's just it's basically taught me that that I've I'd gone through life just anticipating that things would happen the way that I saw it. And it has taught me that nothing, nothing is ever going to be the way you think it's going to be exactly. You may get a portion of that bliss that you're hoping for, and that bliss may reshape itself into something else. And that bliss may be bigger than you expected. And, you know, it may be too much, but nothing is ever going to be exactly what you want or exactly what you imagine. And that's okay. Because, you know, we came away so much more resilient from it. The two of us, we, we came away, you know, with this understanding of how damn lucky we were to come away at all from that situation. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think not knowing that I was nearly dead was, was kind of a good thing. Um, I think had somebody told me that, it would have been a very, very stressful time. But, um, but no, I think finding out afterwards... It made both of us realize quite how precious what we had was and that though it didn't work out the way we wanted, it didn't look the way we wanted, it was full stop. And I yeah. think, you know, I just feel so genuinely blessed to have walked away from that hospital with a child. That's that's what it comes down to, I think, you know, that a- reminds me that I'm literally <laughs> Getting something I probably don't deserve. That's that's probably it. And I think that's a beautiful thing. So if you was to then go back in time mm. to the peak of despair, <sighs> what would you told yourself knowing this, now what you what you would like to know? It's the same thing I do. Now I go onto Instagram and I go onto the Bliss website and every time they have a post with a parent who's struggling, or every time they say, What would you say to a Naiku mum? If you're an ex Naiku mum yourself, I go in there and I say to them, it's not what you wanted. And I know that. And I'm sorry, it's not what you wanted, but you're here. And if your child is here with you, this is a start, but there is no place for the guilt that you're holding. There's no place for it in Naiku. There's no room for guilt in Naiku. There's only love. There's only hope. And there is only togetherness. And that's what you have. You rely on those nurses to tell you what to do, but you must rely on yourself to know there's no place for guilt. Because I, you know, we were kind of, oh, I ruined the pregnancy. I, I ruined this situation and I didn't look after myself properly and I deserve this. I, you know, this is on me because. Yeah. And it doesn't help. It gives you nothing. It gives you no strength. It gives you no energy to go forward. You have to just have hope. You have to just have that love that you are feeling for that child or those children or those people in that moment around you. And you have to kind of throw that guilt away and say, there's no time for you. I don't have time for you right now. I'm too busy feeling love. And that's it. I would go back to that woman and say to her, you didn't do this. Nobody deserves this. This is what it is. Be in the moment. Be with that baby. Come home. Look after yourself. Go back in. That's it. I think I couldn't have made her feel better, but I think I would have just maybe tried to tell her it wasn't her fault. And that's something I was going to ask you because, like mm. we established, your husband had said all the right things, mm. but he just Absolutely. didn't make it better. So, do you think then, if you could go back in time and say those things, do you think you would have been in a place to receive that information and for it to helpfully um, I help think you to make a ter- make a positive ter- turn in your mood? To your some attitude? degree, yeah, I think. Maybe because the, the, the bliss volunteer more or less said something similar to me. And she said, we're all here in the same place. And look at these mums, look at these dads, look at these parents, look at these people. 
you know, we're all here in the same place and we're all here for the same reason. And we've got to get through this. And, you know, we're going to get through this. And every time, you know, you see a post about babies, it's always hashtag preemie strong, you know, hashtag preemie warrior, because it's not just the baby who is the warrior, it's the parent and the parent who's getting through that. I think if I'd been able to go in and hashtag preemie warrior myself, I might have felt slightly better. I might have just told myself to go away, to be honest, because I wasn't in a place to listen. But <laughs> it, it's, it's taught me that, you know, it's okay. It's okay to feel that. It's okay to do it. Like that woman on the phone said to me, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. But at some point you have to live in that love and you have to get on with that love. So I think we definitely have. I mean, you know. I squeeze her so often I'm afraid her eyes are going to pop out sometimes. Oh, that's a bit worrying. Yeah, she's so cute though. I have to. Well, that's nice. Brad, see, she takes, <laughs> off to, takes off to your husband and not you. Um, oh, so, um, <laughs> dang. <laughs> that was a burn. It was. Um, but no, I, I truly appreciate you sharing that. And I think you were so eloquent in how you presented the information. And it's so... Thank you. I, 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 I don't want to seem like I am just literally that gene you up for no apparent reason but i i honestly think that. that i just think that my platform is not the biggest platform but if nothing else if i was to go and leave behind what i have i've helped shape like share stories that people are gonna hold on to and say you know what you're right it's not what i wanted mm-hmm. but it is what it is and it's okay to feel what i'm yeah. feeling that um Again, I used a movie analogy before. Inside, it's a great movie, and it talks about mm. the different emotions you have. And some people can look back on the memory fondly, yes. and then another part of their life, they look back in sadness. And sadness yeah. is not a bad feeling; it's yeah. just part yeah. of life. Just like how winter is part of life, summer's part of life, exactly. fall is part of life. It's with an autumn, and every all these components make up what we know is our reality. And sometimes, mm. and I'm not going to go into it now. But you and I spoke about how my reality was shifted recently. Mm. And I I call it grieving. Yeah. I call it grieving. And I think yeah. a lot of us have grieved. And uh, there's yeah. a lot, there's very there's a lot of similarities between the change curve and the grieving curve because yeah. it's technically it's it's, it's both the sides same of the thing. same. It is it's the same thing. Yeah. Because are you willing to accept that? It's change? a shifted reality. It is yeah. because because we're creatures of patterns and habits, and if things don't suddenly fall into that way we've designed it to be, we can't we're like, cope with it. I, I I can't compute. Oh my gosh, error four hundred four. I can't compute. I refresh. F5. Reboot. <laughs> it is. Hold the power Reboot, button down. Start again. <laughs> it is. Is uh. it plugged in? And and that's how we are. But I think people like you, people like all the other guests I've had on so far, just sharing the rawness of your life. This is pulling back the veils mm. and letting people know from the outside looking in, I look like I'm holding it together quite tight. Trust me. You don't understand. I've got paper clips holding that together. That's duct tape. That's no more nails. That's whatever you want to call it. But yeah. I am probably one negative comment mm. away from falling apart. Mm. But you are there sharing your stories, letting people know. And de- definitely for those that are trying to conceive, those yeah. that have probably gone through similar situations, I've been assuming there's probably some mums out there who have mm. gone through something that you've gone through, but mm. never identify or never let go of that guilt that yeah. they've been holding on to. And they may yeah. never known about bliss or organization like that or felt the value yeah. in talking to them. But by you sharing what you share, that's given them the ability to know that there is support out there for them. There is yeah. no shame in feeling what you feel because no, no, that absolutely. is it's normal. Well, I have feelings if you can't experience yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I was going through depression, I didn't feel feelings. I just felt numbness. Yeah. And that's bad. So yeah. it's a balancing act. It's very hard. But this platform is all about just letting you know that we all go through struggles. And I've said it multiple times. Your right now is not your forever. Yes. Um, one of my favorite phrases at the minute is nothing about a caterpillar tells you it's going to be a butterfly. So just hold on to that and just know that what you're seeing now, what you're experiencing right now, isn't necessarily a bad thing. And also, if we want to go another analogy further, horse manure is the best <laughs> fertilizer ever. <laughs> so when you feel like it's hit the fan and oh, you're really an in it. image. <laughs> I, I, I took it there. I took it there. Um, but when you think that life is really just... just You just, do. You definitely grow the best veg with it. So, Mate, come on. So when you're in the thick of it and you're cussing it, because you say, this ain't the greenest 
breed this over here. <laughs> it is just just let it, let it, let, it, let it marinate for a little bit. Let the sun come out a while. Let the, let the rain come <laughs> let your the way. Mushrooms grow. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you got a little bit of grass over there. Over here, you've got an allotment growing. <laughs> You've got everything growing. And this is what people don't understand. You never meet a strong person with an mm. easy pass. Yes. This is what yeah. I, I'm, I It's told how you, you I, learn to be strong. It is. It's how you, you learn to be strong. I told so, you. I, I've got analogies for days. It is what my, it is. My husband's favorite is, um, uh, it's, it's something, it's something long to do, it's something to do with the ends. So it's something to do with, you know, he keeps repeating it. It was from one of the radio programs. And it was, it'll be all right in the end. It'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. And I love that. I love the the potential for that. You know, it was one of his favorite phrases from his favorite tutor who kind of made him, it's the person who who made him become, want to become a teacher, a guy called Dave Ferraro, who taught in the Henley College. It'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. I love that. I love that. Beautiful. I might have to <coughs> borrow that. Uh, <laughs> it's not copyright. You're okay. That's all right. You can't copyright phrase anyway. <laughs> so um, if people would like to engage mm. with you, where can they find you? Uh, realistically, I am on Instagram, but that's like it because I'm an old person. So I don't have any other, you know, exciting forms of technology. I'm literally on Instagram. I'm talking Cyberman. I'm very friendly because I'm a teacher. My Instagram is open to my students and I am, you know, I'm there to talk to them. Obviously, I don't direct message chat generally unless it's something that, you know, I feel safe doing. But I tend to share stuff from people like the Bliss Group and a wonderful, wonderful podcaster also, obviously other than yourself, called uh, called Amber, who runs a podcast called The Grief Gang. And The Grief Case is, is kind of an offshoot of that. And it also features, you know, people who have lost pregnancies or lost children. And it's kind of a way of kind of bringing people together and talking about those feelings and those emotions. So I kind of share that information on there. I share a lot of kind of human rights stuff and things like that. But, you know, unless you're going to become a student at the Henley College, which, you know, most people, you know, you have to be 16 to do that. So other than that, that's that's me, basically. That's, you know, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody if they wanted to talk about it because... I don't think there is enough discussion around these issues for women. There's not enough discussion about what if, you know, two pages of what if in a book about pregnancy, it doesn't cover any of the myriad things that can happen along the way that nobody anticipates and no one's ready for. So it, it needs to be discussed and it needs to be pushed. I didn't push enough when I was younger with my GPs. I didn't get diagnosed with endometriosis until literally until I tried to conceive, by which time it could have been too late for me. So it's something that we have to keep talking about. We have to keep. Women particularly will be told if they feel something, yeah, that's expected. You know, you have very complicated plumbing, things are going to happen. But if you know, you know your body, you know when your mind isn't right, you know when your body isn't right too. And I wish I had done something sooner regarding the preeclampsia. I wish I had pushed for a second opinion. I wish I'd done all of this. I mean, you know, what ifs are no good, but if I can help somebody else not go through that, that would be wonderful. That would be, you know. That's that's really nice. And that's, again, that's very honest of yourself. And I hope that you now enjoy your life and embrace your life with so much fondness and appreciation. An enormous amount of caffeine. That too. Um, <laughs> because, it, it, you know, I don't want to tell anyone what to do, but I would encourage people to just take off the glasses, the rose-tinted mm. glasses, and stop thinking that the world's against you mm. or that you alone have been dealt a series of cards that mm. are unplayable. Make it work. Mm. Just make it work because mm. you will never have an idea of what someone else is going through until mm. you have a conversation with them. And that's what I'm opening up and doing here. A lot of my guests, I do have conversation with. A lot of my guests, I won't have long-term conversation with. But one thing we have in common is that I know that effectively we're all broken. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, Beautifully we're broken. 
beautifully broken beautifully broken you know that's Absolutely. part of it that makes us unique but at the same time what makes us unique also makes us relatable to one another mm. because we've all got a chink in our armor at some point somewhere mm. so you know people be encouraged reach out to hannah because she's absolutely a fantastic individual hey. who's just got a beautiful mind a beautiful personality and just an all-round you know just someone who i'll be happy to align myself with because of how she conducts herself so much love to you and your family and i do appreciate oh, you jumping on the podcast for me we're definitely going to try and get you on another time if possible <laughs> So as you notice, we never got to the second L that Hannah wanted to talk about, but that's because we went into so much depth about her first L, which I cannot understate how appreciative I am of her sharing it, being so candid and open and honest about it all, because I think there are a lot of people that would have learned something from that conversation. And I hope that it gives you the hope, the encouragement to know that your situation right now is not your forever place. If you know someone else that's going through this, please share it with them so they know they're not alone. And hopefully the words that were shared to her on the charity will also encourage them. So a big shout out to the charity. I hope that they understand how the volunteers they have and the organisation they run, the major impact it has on other people's lives. So my hope has always been that this podcast will help enlighten and encourage those that listen to it through the stories of other people sharing what they've gone through and where they're at today after enduring it. So if I can ask you to leave a review or if you want to listen to this on Apple Podcasts or rank it on Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, just so that other people can have a chance of finding it and hopefully be encouraged. So saying that, I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Take care.